Marvelites, welcome to a special, very special episode of This Week in Marvel. We're doing This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club with the executive producer showrunners of Marvel's Runaways on Hulu, Josh Schwartz, Stephanie Savage, Quinton Peoples. Hi guys. Hello. Hi. I'm excited. You? Thank you for letting us invade your space really, really intimately too. We are very close. Yeah. yeah. No one's aware of what's happening under this table. <laughs> Uh, we've moved tables, we've done all this fun stuff, but we came here today because I wanted to talk about Runaways, both the show and the comics which I adore, which inspired the show. And um, first up, how did you guys get exposed to the series to begin with? Did somebody be like, hand it to you? Because sometimes that's how comics I've been trying to remember who first turned me on to it, but it was when it came out, because it was around the same time as the first season of The O.C., and it was the comic that kind of... Uh, it may have been Alan Heinberg. I feel like it, it mm -hmm. uh, was one who hit. It would make sense that it was Alan. And just reading it for the first time and being like, this is speaking to me in a way that comics hasn't spoken to me, hadn't spoken to me in a long time. And just feeling like those characters were jumping off the page. And I joked to these guys, I was like, I don't know who this Brian K. Vaughn is, but this man is my people. It's just, <laughs> it just really resonated. So that for me was, you know, when the book first came out. And then we were going to meet with Marvel to talk about Runaways. I said, Steph, this isn't going to work unless you love this as much as I do, and handed over the comics. And, and I'm not naturally a comic book person, but I really fell in love with what Brian and Adrian sure. had created and the world and the strong female characters and the diversity and most of all his voice, like yes. the humor and the heart and the cliffhangers at the end of every issue. I, really, I just loved it. And it was so identifiable as our world and the yeah. pop culture yeah. references and the family Like dynamics. literally our world. I was like, that's a 7-Eleven that I go to every night to get my food. <laughs> Quentin. Yeah, no, for me, I mean, I've been a long time comic book reader since I was a kid. Yeah. And I, I picked it up when it first came out because I'm more of an art guy. Mm -hmm. And it didn't look like anything else. Right. And I was like, hey, what's going on with this? And of course, I came in through the art side and loved it. And then the story just took me and I loved the idea of a bunch of superheroes who didn't have costumes and really insulted each other about their clothes. <laughs> I was like, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and so, again, the story just hooked you from the beginning, and so I, I read it consistently through its whole run. Yeah. So I was I was in love from the beginning. I love that you talked about the it is our world, because that's so much of what makes Marvel Marvel, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the world outside your windows. Right. This phrase that we've always thought about at Marvel, so it's so perfect. So, all right, you read the comics, then... Yeah. Where does the, the meeting with Marvel come in? How does that start? Well, we had an initial meeting with Marvel probably two years prior to the, to the Runaways mm -hmm. meeting happening where we met Jeff. They had just set up the Marvel television. Jeff Loeb. Loeb. Jeff Loeb. Excuse me. Well, like I have to say Hot that. Hot Commander Jeff Loeb. Loeb. <laughs> I mean, come on. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. And Megan Bradner. And Megan Bradner, of course. And they, we had an overall deal at Disney at the time, so we are like, let's go meet with Marvel. And Jeff was like, nice to meet you. We're starting Marvel television. We have like six shows planned, and we'll see you guys in like five years. And we were like, what? Okay, buddy, yeah. sure. And then, of course, he was right. And, uh, but they did that. But except it didn't take them five years. It only took them two. Yeah. yeah. So we had heard through uh, Liz Rinsky, who runs our company, that the Runaways feature was no longer happening and that it had moved to television. Mm -hmm. And she knew that, you know, that was kind of the ideal project for us. And so we set another meeting with Marvel. We wasn't really on the table what that meeting was going to be about. Sure. Little did we know when they set the meeting with us, so this was probably about two and a half years ago, we didn't know that when we set the meeting, they had the same thought. So we were walking and going, please, can we do Runaways? And they were walking and going, let's talk about Runaways. So it was very, <laughs> it just, you know, kismet. 
So you came in and you said, all right, we're going to pitch them hard on Runaways. Well, we wouldn't, we you can't be that presumptuous with the yeah. sure. or Jeff Lowe. So you just <laughs> sort of feel it out and just even see where they were at. Uh, yeah. And once we heard that it was something that was potentially available, we attacked. We, yeah. we carpe diemed. And it, and it was attack of a lot of hard work. <laughs> it was. We, <laughs> not only did we pitch, but we wrote it on spec. Uh, the pilot, we, we wrote, wrote a Bible. Bible. I mean, we put a lot of time just to prove, you know, how deep was our love. Yeah, I love that stuff. How much has changed from the pilot that you wrote initially to what we've seen already on TV? Quite a bit. I mean, I think the story that we started with was more reflective of the first issue of the book. So by the end of page, you know, the teaser, we'd say, and page 10, page 15, mm-hmm. the kids have witnessed the sacrifice. And, oh my God, what have we just seen? Yeah. When we landed at Hulu... They gave us the kind of note which you never get from a network, uh, and because they are a network, they're streaming. Um, it's not TV, it's Hulu. It's <laughs> um, which is, could you take what happens at the end of the teaser and make that the end of the episode and open up all that space to really dive into who these characters are, uh, what their relationships are to each other, mm-hmm. and to their parents, and really play the emotional reality of your whole world getting turned upside down. Yep. Uh, but before that happens, you have to see that world. But that being said, the characters themselves didn't change that much, and the Bible that we wrote fundamentally didn't change that much. Yeah, sort of the idea of like the Church of Gaborim being our way into that story. You know, a lot of that stuff helped. Yeah, no, I love that you talk about the kids because that's so obviously is so important to the story, to the world that we build around. What were the things that initially hooked you and that you felt were most important that you couldn't do without when you were taking the comic to screen? Well, old lace. (laughs) <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, that was that was a big one. And for us, part of what we presented to Marvel was we wanted to take those first 18 issues mm-hmm. when it's really the kids versus pride, runaways versus pride, and open up that story and live inside that story for as long as possible. That's fun. So I want to talk about the parents as well. Having reread the story very recently, and when I was watching with my wife, she's never read it, and I was like, there's so much more about the parents here. <laughs> I love that. Like, at what point when you guys were developing this, did you say, hey, we want to get into who all these families are more than just, you know, like, I love the book, but there's a lot of like, we're going to kill you. We're going to threaten Molly. Arr. In the show, mm-hmm. there's so many layers to everyone. Mm-hmm. Where did that start to come together? Well, part of it is just writing for actors, you know, the translation to live action and, like, you have to be able to explain this to an actor of, like, why you're doing this and literally, like, what's your motivation? (laughs) They're going to have those questions. And so in starting to want to make sure that everything felt very grounded and that all the characters, even Pride, could kind of rationalize to themselves and to somebody else why they were doing what they were doing, Mm -hmm. just, I think, sort of started a process of really talking about that and teasing it out of like, well, who are these people? How did they get involved in this organization? What's their point of view? Not everyone's on the same page. There's a lot of conflict between the couples, inside the couples. There's some infidelity happening. It's Mm -hmm. like a complicated dynamic that if you set about to do this thing, unless you were literally just like, arg, you know, (laughs) or like... Brian's going to be like, I don't remember writing this much grunting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I, yeah. There's a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. Letter was working real hard on that. And part of it also was born out of our conversations with Brian, who we were lucky enough to have in the room with us for the first month of the show. Yeah. You know, he was very much like, I don't want to come in, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes or sure. make it weird. We're like, just come for lunch on the first day. <laughs> and then he ended up coming back every day for a month, and it was awesome to have him there. 
and talking about the process and the things that they would have gotten to if they mm -hmm. had and just how they thought the comic was going to get canceled with every issue. So they were moving through story really quickly and didn't have the space to focus on the parents. So out of those conversations, I think that led to us digging even deeper. Yeah. But parents were always part of our initial pitch to Marvel, which is we want to tell the story of the Runaways and of Pride. And that's something that we like doing and other shows that we've done, which sure. seem like they're about teenagers, but actually hopefully are family dramas too. 100%. You talked a little bit about coming into the book because of the art, and that, to me, is also one of those things that has been so important. Adrian's art is so is so beautiful. There's a, a simplicity, but a, an elegance and a complexity to it at the same time. And really, when you get into the characters that he developed, the looks, the styles, was there something about the characters that you made sure you had to bring in, you, you were sort of thinking about as you're developing this that connect you guys to wanting to bring this to screen? Yeah, one thing that, the first thing that comes to mind is Carolina's lights. That was something that we really consulted the comics on. And Christina Strain's coloring, the way she did it, was so beautiful and like feminine. And you understood like why Carolina wasn't terrified by it or like didn't think it was gross because it was just so compelling. And yeah. so how to figure out how to do that practically and with visual effects and that there wasn't really anything to reference it wasn't like oh it's just like this person's power so let's just do mm -hmm. it like that we really had to come up with a process that included Jenny wearing a light suit so that there was interactive light you know when we shot yeah. it and then enhancing it with visual effects and like we sent that one back I mean look there's obviously a big Marvel universe there's a lot of powers that have been put on screen yes nothing like Carolina. No. And so that required, you know, a lot of work to get there. Yeah, and I think one of the joys of working on a show, and as you say, having been a fan of the comic, is every day or several days when you're sitting there, you're waiting, and actors suddenly appear in their outfits that you've identified from the comics. And maybe you wondered, it probably wasn't going to translate. And then Nico especially yeah. suddenly is in front of you and you're like, oh my God, it's like, it's really happening. Yeah. These iconic looks that were established in the book and then when they show up in the real outfits as real living people, you're like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, well, Renzi got cast with obviously not enough time to grow his hair up <laughs> for the first episode, so he wore a wig in the first episode. And the day he showed up with that wig and the glasses and you're like, Oh my God, Alex Wilder has walked out <laughs> Absolutely. of the and he's like, no and, question. and then he grew his hair out in between the, yeah. the first episode and the series order, and, and it, it grew perfect. out perfectly. And you're like, oh my God, you wore this guy this whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's bonkers. It's bonkers. It is. It's crazy. I was blown away yeah. how perfect, they all look yeah. perfect, but yeah. Carolina, who, when that first reveal of her powers in the show, it was beautiful. Like yeah. the, the colors and the feeling, and, and then the, there's more elements in that. What about the other things? Because you've got very iconic pieces. Sure. You talk about Alex's yeah. the glasses, the hair, yeah. Nico, the, the goth look. You've got uh, you Molly know what's the with hardest the to achieve is the Twister board. <laughs> modern day Twister, they've shrunk yeah, they the board. Yeah, they shrunk the board. So you couldn't. Uh, you know, everybody makes things cheaper now. Smaller boxes fits on the shelves at Walmart. Uh, so we had to actually take two Twister boards and, and fuse them together. I feel like that was one of our greatest practical effects. There you go. Yes, exactly. Cool. But do you want to tell the Greg story? No, I don't want to tell that story. <laughs> Guys, we're not telling the Greg story. All right, well, now I have to. I You're definitely staring at me like, tell the story. No, it's very sweet. If you go back and rewatch that scene. The Greg, Twister scene? The Twister yeah. scene. Greg Sulkin, who plays Chase, has his arm up in the air the entire time. 
And we were like, why is he's made a choice? <laughs> we couldn't that. And we realized he just literally took the pose that Chase was doing in the comic <laughs> and held it. It was very sweet. It was his own yeah. line. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Greg, she made me tell the story. No, even though there's no like, like action <laughs> twister, they were very insulting right now. What did he ever do to that? <laughs> Jeez. That's just an example of how, how serious how serious the yeah. actors. You know, they were literally studying the panels of like, you know, the first time we came into the guest house and Renzi saw that there were pinball machines. Like, he knew that was from the comic. Like, everyone was very invested. Yeah. And there are certain elements at Marvel. They give you a lot of freedom and support, you know, in terms of the story-breaking process, writing process. But there are certain obvious IP elements that everybody really locks in on from Marvel New York all the way. And there's this uh, a really talented guy who works at Marvel named Josh Shaw. He really oversees a lot all of this stuff, all the visual stuff. He does a lot of drawing. So, you know, well, Lace was, yeah, we worked with him a lot. Yeah, Fistigons, the staff, all of that stuff went through a really rigorous process. I was walking by my team and our social people were putting something together. And our social coordinator, Alex, had up a, a design for Old Lace. And I was carrying my water and I just stopped like, oh my God, it like caught me because it was... Yeah. So great, and yeah. I had I hadn't at that point seen her in that way. It was so great. All right. no, and doing that as a mix of puppet and CG was also a conversation that we all had, and felt like it was a great way to a have Gert not having to act with like a tennis ball. Yeah, and it just helped really sell the bond between Old Lace and the other actors, and really helped bring that character alive. Yeah, the puppet is so good. It's a yeah. team that did Jurassic Park. There's like six people. Yeah. Operating every eye blink and yeah, nostril flare. I really wondered, like, is this gonna get old after a while? Like the first day, everybody's freaking out, and then I thought, well, is, is everybody gonna get used to this? And they never did. Every single time, old lace would come onto the set. People were like, oh, you know what's coming to this? Well, we got the dinosaur. Day. <laughs> it's a dinosaur day. Yeah. The whole crew was crazy, crazy, crazy yeah. for that. Yeah, I'm so excited to see yeah. more. future season. Oh, it's gonna be good. Yeah. so good, so yeah. good. So what about the voices for the characters? We talked about the looks, and credit to Brian for, for sure. when he originally wrote these characters. They all feel well-developed, rounded, full characters. You don't get a lot of who they are, but you feel like you know who yes. they are very quickly. Did you find any challenges with you know, making sure all those elements? Was there anything that you guys said, hey, let's twist it here and there that you wanted to find for the screen? Well, definitely the tone and voices for these characters came fully formed from Brian. And we wanted to honor that. And, you know, obviously the world has changed in the last 15 years since the, yes. since the book came out. So we wanted to make sure that felt represented. We were lucky that we had, you know, actors like Ariella who's like, let me explain to you guys fourth wave feminism. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. oh, we were on the third wave. Okay, <laughs> okay guys, <laughs> the fourth wave. So there was a lot of collaboration with the actors. That's really helpful. And again, I think the conversations with us in the writer's room was really about how do we, going off of that thought, that note from Hulu, and just diving into the story dig deeper into those relationships, you know, and this idea that they were friends and that a tragedy had fallen over the group and that plus high school had driven the group apart. That was something that we really talked a lot about and talked to Brian about so that when they came together, it would feel hopefully more, there, there was more emotional stakes to it and yes. feel more earned mm -hmm. in that moment. So, Making Gert and Molly's sisters sort of changed that relationship and gave us something unique to write to, but mm -hmm. still trying to keep them true to who they are. We also aged Molly up a little bit, mm -hmm. sort of just to keep her more in our story world mm -hmm. so she could go to school with our other kids and 
And also because if you cast 11 or 12 year old Molly yeah. in season one, in season two, yeah. you're like, it's the Walt problem, you yeah. know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although Allegra may end up being the tallest person yeah. in the cast yeah, exactly. anyway. But yeah, so, so she, she can was be a part of the world. growing in front of our eyes. Yeah. Like. I know you talk about Molly all the time with that infectious joy that she has. It, it's an extraordinary thing, which is, even though Molly couldn't be 11, from the comics. You needed that naivete combined with a really optimistic point of view. And Allegra just pours that. When you meet her in person, that's just who she is. Yeah. I mean, it's electric energy pouring off of her and it comes from that positive place. That was really the key to Molly for us. And so to cast an actor who just brought that, the writing part was super simple mm -hmm. because you just give her that and you just pour it off. Of yeah. Her. Uh, we talked a little bit about the equipment and the powers and stuff, but the staff of one, like mm -hmm. just seeing it on screen is yeah. cool. Were there things that you targeted in on for the powers or for the weapons and stuff that were just like, hey, we need to get working on this early because this yes. is so important? Yeah, I mean, Ole certainly, before we even knew we had a series order mm -hmm. and we just were shooting the first episode, they were already building Ole because if the show was to get ordered, there would be so much lead time. There would be no way to, to have the done in time. And in fact, in the original version of the first episode, you see a claw, because that was all we could build. And then when we had old lace, to Quinn's point, everyone's like, this is amazing. She got a little bit more of a featured close-up. What were some of the other... I mean, the staff, the staff. We, we talked to Brian a lot just about the rules of the staff. Yeah. And Fisiguns, I mean, even those posters, the promotional posters that you see on bus stops, which are all these iconic weapons, whatever you want to call them, props, you had to get those right. Fistigons, like, oh, what are they really like? Like these the most wonderfully geeky conversations about what's the heat signature going to look like? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I've been spending my whole life waiting to have that conversation. So having a Stephanie's heat... like, Quinn, yeah. go have the conversation. Yeah. No, so, but you know what? I never thought about that conversation, but of course, I have a lot of opinions about what the heat signature looks exactly like right. when it's presented with it. And how does the staff work? And what does it look like? Mm -hmm. And like these long conversations, even on the set, about, well, how long does it take for it to activate from the moment that she touches it to when the fire and the lightning starts, like you're like, oh my God, this is so, I love my job <laughs> so much. Yeah. So that was just day in and day out. It was fun stuff like that. I love it. I love it. So episode two, we get to see sort of episode one told from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Episode three, we get some flashback and some different things. You know, for a little tease for the rest of the season, what are we They're gonna... going to run away? <laughs> <laughs> Will there Which be some people are wondering? Yeah. Will there be more jumping back and forth in time? Do we get to see more of the past? How? Yes. What about that kind of stuff? Yes. Uh, one of the things we decided early on was, and I think we stumbled into it a little bit, mm -hmm. which is we got great mileage out of this flashback piece. And we're like, oh, we like seeing and having that tool in our tool belt. And so you'll be able to really dig in there and, and see some things regularly that look back down the timeline that it's a lot of fun yeah. and everything is there to kind of fill in not just parent backstory and understanding some of the emotional dynamics or but also it's all about the present day story as well yeah. so everything you're seeing is also while hopefully it's giving you some insight into these characters and their histories and what have you it's also laying track for the big story we're telling in the present day yeah. And one of the things that's really fun about them is they have really different tones. Like one can be very like kind of gritty and urban mm -hmm. and another can be like pastoral and almost like elegiac. Like it can be all different things and it sort of sets the tone mm -hmm. for the episode. No, I love that. It's great. And another 
tone setter is the music. Yes. Uh, a little, a little uh, hat tip to our friend Eric Goldman who tossed this my way. I want to talk a little bit about the music yeah. and how important that is for you guys and the shows that you do. What were you thinking of when you were, you know, the the palette of music? I don't know what the, you know. Yeah, no, that's a good is, that's but. a good term for it. And we, early on, there was a couple of key tracks, like the Rory track that's in there mm-hmm. where all the kids converge in the choreo in the first episode. It had an inclusive sound to it that felt reflective of the cast and lived in a couple of different genres at the same time. And wanted to have, we started working with Alex Pitsavis, who's been our music supervisor on, on everything we've done. And each character got their own playlist just mm-hmm. to kind of create like a sonic palette for everybody. And then once the show started going, you might be like, well, this song's awesome. Even though it's on Nico's playlist, it would work really well over Gert. And just trying to find stuff that felt modern, that felt like it was in the tone of the show, mm-hmm. sort of propulsive. It could be bigger name artists, whether it was like LCD sound system or bleachers or somebody who, you know, you've never heard before, you know, watching this show. And then we also have to say our composer, Sid Colsa, is amazing. The score for the show just inspires us and we started writing to it and just found a way again of making it feel modern and there's like a bit of a But also kind vibe. of nostalgic because yeah. it has sort of these 80s synthesizers Synthesi- in yeah. it. And it can be cold and creepy, but then it can also really tug on the heartstring. It's just this great sound that he created for the show that we we love. We have an episode coming up that we have almost the entire, there's like one Once, needle drop. Yeah, everything And the whole is. thing is score, which we have never done in our lives. Great, more we're, score. We're evolving. We, we gotta put that online. <laughs> we have right. a score on, make it available. Well, there's cool. a soundtrack conversation happening, which mm-hmm. I think will be cool. And we'll have a lot of the needle drop that you hear in the show and also a lot of uh, score as well. Cool. Before we wrap up, we do take a couple questions from This Week in Marvel fans. Uh, a couple here, Joshua Cooper says, me, hope they don't change Runaways too much. Marvel, Molly and Gerd are sisters. Me, never mind, this is better. So he <laughs> very much... I didn't know where that was going. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I, I curated these. I've seen, I've seen other versions. Oh, yeah. no, I, I love it. And so this is one of the biggest changes, one of, obviously. There's some other really cool stuff. But I love it because I'm my wife and I, we are a waiting family as an adoptive yeah. family. Oh, we're waiting for a match and all that stuff. So I think it's really cool. How did you guys come to this part of the story? We talked a little bit about it, but... The adoption and the sisters and well, part of it sort of just of pure logistics of like Stephanie did the math and was like, do you realize how many series of shows have to be in this show for everybody with parents? So we offed a couple that might uh, bring the numbers down uh-huh. and then yeah, I mean then it gave us a good a really good mystery of like what happened to her parents and it's definitely something that Molly is very focused on from the beginning, but then the other characters get involved in that question as well. Yeah. It's all about raising the stakes for the drama eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you're constantly looking at in the writer's room, is how can we amp this up? How can we make this more dramatic? And again, taking from the comic, you're always looking for cliffhangers, right? Because Brian built that into the book. Uh-huh. Sure. We built it into the show. So we're constantly looking for, is this a cliffhanger? Is that a cliffhanger? We need a good one. And so putting as many of those things in motion as we can. Yeah. And um, wanting the show to stand on its own. I mean, hopefully if you're a fan of the book, you feel like the spirit of the book is intact in this show. Oh, yeah. But also, and this is something that the Grand Supreme Leader Jeff Loeb talks about a lot too, which is it's not going to be that satisfying for readers of the comic if we're just doing a literal translation yep. of the book to the screen. So where are those places where you do make departures, again, that hopefully honors the spirit of what was originally intended, but also pushes the book out in unexpected ways. And as an audience member, even if you're familiar with the book, you don't know where the show's going. Right, yeah. once there's an Amy Minoru who died mysteriously, and once the hazes aren't there anymore, like you know that things are gonna have to go down a different path and maybe connect in different ways. Yeah, 
I love what you guys have done with the Yorks too. I mean, I just <laughs> I like I, I want to more so of those fun. characters. They're, They're so, so fun. Oh, you'll get more. Yeah, <laughs> uh, making use of them. We may not be able to answer. Like, this this is from Kevin Weissman, twenty-three. <laughs> <laughs> when do we get more Yorks? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Uh, Megan Yusuf says, "Does the Leapfrog make an appearance later in the season?" Nah. This is a great run. I'm loving the new show. I almost brought that up as something that we talking about R and D. We did not give ourselves enough time mm-hmm. to make a leapfrog. That's true. We were like, let's do a leapfrog. And then once we were already shooting the show, and then we were like, we'd like to see it in this episode, and just realized there was no way we could do the good version in the amount of time that we had. Yeah, if we so, if we had done that version, the entire rest of the season would have had to take place inside the leapfrog. <laughs> yeah. Like four episodes to pay for it. So, yeah. All right. so we we're big fans of the leapfrog. Yeah. Yes, it does get referenced. I th- yeah, I and thought I heard it referenced yeah, in yeah. Like episode one or You'll two. Hear yeah, about in episode it. two, and then it's just always just right it, out of frame. It, yeah. may, it may be covered exactly. <laughs> with the yeah. car cover yeah. in, the, uh-huh. in this tiny garage at some point, but we do hope that eventually it'll get on the road. Nice. Penelope Cat asks, uh, was there ever any question about not including Old Lace? No. That was my first question when I came in to talk about this show. Like, well, do you have any questions about the show? I'm like, are we doing the dinosaur? <laughs> like, number one, first off the top of my head. And they're like, yes, we are. <laughs> we didn't know how, but we no, knew we were going to try. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to do a casting call for dinosaurs yeah, and we find yeah. Yeah, whoever. Um, the Boulevard, there's a lot available. <laughs> Penelope kind of asks again, I like the parallel stories told over the first two episodes. Was it always planned that the first three episodes would be available at the same time? If so, how did that affect the writing, pacing of those episodes? Well, we didn't know exactly how many episodes we were going to drop, but we knew at the very least the first two would drop yeah. together. And so they was always designed kind of hand in glove to go together and kind of set up both sides of the story before the show really can then take off. It worked really well. Like, it got us invested. My wife was very upset that there weren't more, but now she's like, you got to come home because we got to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, that's been the funniest thing to sort of watch online is audiences who are not accustomed to at least streaming shows yep. not yeah. getting it all at once. Yeah. And it's like, I'm a millennial. Someone wrote this. I'm not... <laughs> we were used to getting everything we want when we want it, and now you're making us wait. So yeah. it's that uh, was not our plan. We apologize if it's torturous to wait for things, but yeah, it's worth the wait. Thank you all for giving us the time and, and chatting about the show. Thank Very you. Very excited. And uh, y'all, you have to read the Runaways comics. There's many of yes. them. There's so many. Issues. They just relaunched it. Yes. Ah, uh, the new one, uh, Rainbow really Rowell good. and Chris Anka. Hopefully, we'll be able to talk about that in a couple of years. We just keep doing more runaways. Yeah, I like Great. it. I like the way uh, you think. But thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.